welcome from all points across time to your Loki podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me from the future is future timey Pete. Hello, Pete. I want to try everything. The Loki podcast by Fantastic Geek for the historic first Marvel Studios second season premiere. Episode 201, Ouroboros, is brought to you by Temporal Aura Extractor. Pull your ass out of the past or you'll lose all your skin. Pete, where are we on our timeline? Well, on this Marvel Monday, we can look to the past. We had our Ahsoka season uh, finale uh, episode on Saturday. We were talking Star Trek Lower Decks on Sunday, bringing us to Marvel Monday today. Looking ahead to the future, we're going to have the Ahsoka season wrap on Force Friday, Loki 202 on Marvel Saturdays, Star Trek Sunday, our constant. Dates on the move, but here we are, Pete. Uh, time slipping, but I think we're okay. <laughs> it's It's been a big couple weeks. Uh, we're up to it. Ten years into this thing now and uh yeah I, I i think we're okay uh and the the buoying breaking news matt that only one percent of the writers guild of america hates itself another way to put that the contract uh ratified by 99 ratified to the positive uh with 99 percent of wga voters giving the affirmation um that's a heck of a number there democracy but who voted against this? Who voted against the contract that has systemic change for long-term viability for the craft, for protections against AI? For uh, benefits. The idea that writing teams had to split benefits until this contract and someone voted against this. Wow. It, it's shocking. But, you know, congrats to the WGA well-deserved now do the actors speaking of actors pete we will see some actors appearing in the marvels uh, which has tickets going on sale tomorrow that's october 10th 10 10 uh whether you're european or american that's 10 10 um so certainly exciting there as we look towards the november release of that film and just a reminder, as you said there, we're going to do Force Friday this week. We will do our season series, not sure, wrap of Ahsoka on Force Friday, uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, and now shifting Loki moving forward, uh, knowing we're doing it Monday here, but we'll be doing Marvel Studios Saturdays, as Matt has coined them, going forward. So make sure you get us your feedback for then. Turning to some Loki news, uh, the season two premiere, Pete, that's the episode we're talking about here, has racked up, uh, Disney says, 10.9 million views worldwide over the first three days. There's like a whole number uh, rabbit hole that you can go down to really understand what a view is as Disney defines it. How about this? It's defining it in a legit, easy to understand way, and 10.9 million views in three days is certainly very very impressive every bit the win they wanted and needed let's look into the glorious 
purpose of this episode in front of a giant statue of Kang. Loki runs in slow motion from Mobius before Hunter B-15 and other TVA agents stop him on the other side of a balcony overlooking the futuristic metropolis of the TVA. Loki doesn't know what's going on, but Mobius doesn't know him. So Loki dives off the balcony and into the back of a flying mail cart, which strikes the left cheek of the statue cheekily. As Casey, our friend from Lower Decks there, of course, uh, cleans a marble TVA floor, the cart comes careening through the window. Loki falls out and announces he's fine, but the cart falls and its female driver screams all the way down. Despite Loki's pronouncement, she'll be fine. The orange circular monitor falls and cracks the floor. Loki recognizes Casey, who doesn't recognize him, asking him for help. But Casey calls into his tempad that he has the intruder. Loki grunts and jumps into the same, albeit different, space where Casey recognizes him by name. Loki tells him he's being pulled through time and he notices the crack in the floor. He asks Casey about it and he says it's been there as long as he can remember, which allows Loki to deduce he was just in the past. He asks where Mobius and B-15 are and Casey says they're probably in Chrono Bay 3 as Loki disappears again taking us to the title card. You highlight here, Pete, how this episode with its multiple timelines, how it it gets established in, I think, what is ultimately an easy-to-understand way. I think they're, it, they're meant to maintain for us a slight um, discombobulating factor here, but certainly the notion of Loki saying, oh, this occurred in the past, I am time-jumping, and so forth uh spelled out here after the title card we have modern or shall we say present because we will distinguish between past and present and later on future modern and present uh, mobius and b15 see the branching timelines occurring on the display there they're of course not sure how to tell all the tva folks that everything is a lie that all this has been done in vain and so forth meanwhile hunter x5 with his X5 Gloves uh, is there to ask about jet skis and sea dews. Immediately unlikable. <laughs> Indeed. Pete, I must confess, though I've never used a personal watercraft before, uh, they look easy to use and fun. And I'm assuming there's some sort of like wrist key thing. So if you fall off, it stops too. Like it kind of just seems win win. Uh, and certainly we all like Owen Wilson and we all like Mobius, and Mobius likes jet skis and sea dews and other personal watercraft so i think those who stand opposed to personal watercraft therefore we naturally dislike even more unlikable yes uh and should check here that uh mobius attempted to see if miss minutes could locate loki but not working here before the aforementioned x5 started uh giving Mobius a hard time about his uh, jet ski interest. 
and also not being interested in them. There to only tell them that with Renslayer missing, there's a new judge's council, and General Dox and Judge Gamble want to see him and B-15 in the war room. Uh, they get into an elevator uh, with him before Loki reappears where they were, startling Casey to ask where Mobius is. And Casey tells him he went to the war room as the branches continue to grow. With Mobius and B-15 having that long walk towards the judge's council, there's a, a brief moment where Loki appears and disappears again. Wait, what was that? Oh, nothing and so forth. The takeaway from this small scene that uh, both Mobius and B-15 are worried about the mood in the room some kind of, uh, not, not quite foreshadowing, but some sort of anticipation as to the weight of the judges' counsel. Uh, as they enter the war room, Loki reappears and enters the same war room, but of course it is a different one. Pete, I think we can say it is one of the past, uh, and it has a massive relief sculpture with... Uh, I, my notes say the many faces of Kang, I do want to clarify to uh, you and to the listeners and I think to me that it is meant to be one Kang face from multiple angles as opposed to many Kangs isn't that the whole thing about the TVA to just have the one Kang I don't know that that's necessarily the case um, I mean again it's a thing we can chew over as we theorize and I, I think between the number of times Loki mentions, yes, it's he who remains. They haven't used Kang yet in the show. The outfit is clearly the, the Kang costume. Um, and we know we're going to Victor Timely down the road and everything there uh, that there are millions of them that there's an infinite number and all the more dangerous. Well, in the present day war room, there's a mural where, or on top of where the sculpture was, uh, with the branches growing, it is recapped that it was Mobius who declared an end to pruning. Why end pruning when you have these growing branches? Wait a minute. There's an internally consistent verbiage here. I see what you did season one. Um, so the judge's counsel says to Mobius and B-15, make it make sense to us, adding sense or perhaps confusion, but ultimately sense, is, is Loki back in that past war room listening to a recording, Kang thanking someone for being a marvel, for being on his team. Loki rewinds, learning that he, uh, Kang, is speaking to Renslayer. So uh, I, I think uh, concern there. As, Pete, we head back to the present. Docs demands to know under whose authority did they make the call to stop pruning branches. And B-15 says they didn't have time for proper protocol. And everyone here is variants. Gamble says that D-90 went to the timeline and saw Renslayer's variant corroborating B-15 that they all had lives on the timeline. Mobius emphasizes that the timeline is branching, but the sky hasn't fallen. But X 
five, points to the robot head on the table and says it changes everything. Docs, however, says it changes nothing. And they won't let the timeline branch because they have to protect it. But B-15 says they've been destroying rather than protecting, committing atrocities by eliminating lives on those branches. Gamble gets in and says they've made their positions clear, each of them. She laments she's handed down the same guilty verdict her entire life because the timekeepers deemed it. B-15 says that she knows how hard it is to turn her back on everything she believes in, but the TVA has to change starting now. Gamble announces over the PA that pruning will stop, and Loki materializes. That he does. Uh, he notes that he, Loki, has found him, not the him of the timekeepers, but rather the the person behind the timekeepers. Uh, after some uh, time baton gymnastics here, Loki has a baton and batons away the mural, revealing Kang's face behind it. With that, General Dox wants to find Sylvie and to determine what is happening at the end of time. Uh, there is also a moment of what appears to be maternal closeness between Dox and uh, Hunter X5. Um, we might chew over that in theories, but I mention it for the purposes of the recap here. And B-15 definitely casts a look there. Uh, Doc says the timekeepers were fake, but their warnings were real. Pretty straightforward to her. X-5 wants to know what she wants him to do. And she says they need to know what happened at the end of time. She tells him to find Sylvie. The reason they're in this mess. Loki and Mobius reflect on the same. How did Sylvie make this choice? How did she? How how is this better than uh, than the alternative? Loki recaps the end of season one. How what was being held in place was one Kang, evil as he might be, but holding back the threat of infinite Kangs. War is coming. Oh, and how is it that Loki is appearing and reappearing and all of that? He recaps that he was in the TVA of the past, but of course, there's not supposed to be a past in the TVA, something that uh, I think our characters are going to have to reassess before the end of the episode. Loki's whole point here is that the man at the end of time made sense, uh, and that he and Sylvie thought it was about freeing the timeline, but that only brings more war more of Kang, and they're all coming. Uh, Loki recaps, they fought, he and Sylvie, and she kicked him through a time tour. Mobius would ask who won, but Loki maintains it was a draw because he was uh, actively trying to uh, stop her from killing uh, he who remains Kang. Uh, Loki points to a mural of Kang's and says war is on its way uh maybe the pruning was about preventing more of him he who remains said he keeps them safe but how would mobius not remember loki says because he wiped their memories more than once loki wants to go back to the judges but mobius says he wants to know uh how he just appeared he was in the past 
But as we've said, there's no past in the TVA. Mobius maintains it's impossible, but Loki disappears briefly before reappearing right before him. And Loki asks how it looks. And Mobius asks instead how it feels. Loki downplaying it as he cracks his neck painfully. Mobius uh, says he guesses it doesn't look that bad, but they have to get him help and wants to call Miss Minutes. But Loki shuts that down since she was there at the end of time and she was the one who called him. He who remains and Mobius wants to swing by repairs and advancement. And indeed, they start to head there over a series of get in the elevator, go to a particular spot, continue to have a walk and talk, head to another elevator with Pete, the very rare foot control. Um, I feel like the camera doesn't quite linger enough to say this second tiny elevator is uh, one that requires foot controls. Um, we also recap the, the major threat of He Who Remains. They indeed end up at repairs and advancement. Uh, Ouroboros being lowered down. He recognizes Mobius, uh, and he is introduced uh, to Loki as OB. How long has it been? Three, four, yes, 400 years. Um, now reunited together, uh, OB asks, how are things up there? Clearly news has not made its way down. Then Loki, time slips away. Um, and some some back and forth here. Uh, this sort of thing has happened before. Of course, it's impossible to time slip at the TVA, but we just saw a time slip. Huh, we did. The ease of this conversation when they start clearly Mobius with our knowledge that he's had his mind wiped several times, uh, knows to go there, but doesn't, no, can't pull Obi's name, is pulling the wrong details. Oh, yeah, hey, I got off on this floor. Oh, yeah, and then I stayed a while. No, you didn't. You left immediately. Um, you know, this as uh, a work order comes in and Obi uh, explains that he works on it right away. He does not sleep. He does this all the time. He's been at this forever, sending it back up the pneumatic tube there um but having seen loki time slip which he's the one that gives it the name here uh he's having trouble reconciling it bringing us to the past where he doesn't have glasses yet uh and loki appears to tell him what's happened and again, you know, I think of, say, Back to the Future with its, you know, uh, pardon the crudity of this model, but nonetheless, here's a model to presage to the audience. Here's how the courtyard looks, and here's how this, and here's how everything is supposed to be, so you, you're clear about what's going on. Um, this episode, not doing that, I think, again, we have clear dialogue, clear enough in terms of you know, with the past, the present, and so forth, the glasses, the lack thereof, and all of that. Um, I still think that, you know, so we can clearly see glasses OB is different than modern-day OB, and we're, you know, we're delving on in. I think the fact that we're not, for example, having on-screen, you know, in the past, in the present, in the future, all of that, we are meant right. to be slightly disoriented as we make our way through this episode. 
in the present, Obi realizes he's seen Loki before a long time ago when he came to him complaining about time slipping and wonders why he didn't remember. Mobius asks if Loki's talking to him uh, in the past and he's remembering it, which Obi says makes perfect sense. In that past, Loki tells Obi uh, he was just with him in the future which he says he thinks he would remember, but Loki has to explain to him it hasn't happened yet. That's why you don't remember it. Uh, but if, if somebody wanted to remedy it, they'd need a temporal aura extractor, which present OB tells Mobius he doesn't have. Loki kills time in the past as OB makes one temporal aura extractor. And uh, Loki asks him to hold on to it until Mobius drops by. In the present, Obi suddenly remembers he has the extractor there and tells Mobius he needs to get to the temporal loom so the extractor can pull Loki out of the time stream. But he has to be quick about it because if he spends too long, the temporal energy can peel skin right off, which Mobius immediately fixates on for the rest of the episode. Okay. And we have to acknowledge, you know, you get a second season. This is the, the first of uh, the Marvel studio shows to do this. But, you know, one of the many, many reasons that's happened is the nature of Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston's bond as performers you know, we we uh, brush past the episode in the elevator where there's the third person. There's the woman after um, Mobius has told him, oh, it's it's not bad when you you time slip. And then the second time he's like, I can't look at you. It's, it's horrible. He's like, wait, you said it wasn't bad. And then he asks the lady in the corner and she just gulps. <laughs> And now with the skin detail for the rest of the episode, that of all the danger, that's the thing that uh, Mobius fixates on the most. Reflecting on your recap, Pete, it strikes me how much of this scene, uh, indeed, how much of this episode perhaps is either recap exposition or kind of setting the table for you know the action set piece to come and the uh, temporal extractor and the time stream and pulling him out and kind of all of that there's a lot of this episode that's very very talky uh obviously the whole episode except for the mid-credit scene is you know reusing the same set over and over but at no point does it feel heavy uh, again maybe not not to hammer home my point yet again maybe that's because we are meant to be slightly disoriented, so it can't feel heavy when you're like not quite sure which which way is up and whatnot. But so much of what you just recapped again is doing kind of story work, but it doesn't feel that way. Um, and I would certainly would agree Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston being a major factor. Pete, if only you could take one person from 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 this and maybe one person from Ahsoka, put them in a movie together. Put it in the summer. I'm sure it'd be a great hit unless you had no actors to promote it and then it would just all fall apart. But hey, Haunted Mansion now on Disney Plus. There you go. Um, but 
losing his skin is nothing compared to what Loki has to do, violently rip himself from every thread of space and time, which is the act of pruning himself because it releases himself from time. And the hope is the extractor will pull him into the present. And if it doesn't, Matt, have you heard about how if you fall into a black hole, you turn into spaghetti? Black hole, giant everything bagel. I was definitely feeling like this seems uh, kind of familiar. Although the spaghetti... That's a a real... I mean, we say real. It's a real theoretical phenomenon. Nobody's, you know, been able to do it. But spaghettification. And later when we go to the room outside the temporal loom on the floor there, were you able to read the warning? Oh, I saw part of it. I didn't pause. It was something... 7,000 radiations escalate exponentially behind beyond this threshold likelihood of spaghettification increases 7,000 percent proceed with caution and up the top there's like pictograms but it also says mortal danger <laughs> extreme temporal radiation um here now is a good time as any to ask this question and bearing in mind of course that you know, the first episode of any series has all this exposition that it needs, you know, to do to establish the, the, the pilot episode needs to establish the thing and so forth. Is the flavor of this episode portending a season that is better than the first season? I mean, you didn't think the scope or the scale could be greater this after they moved production from Atlanta to england yet somehow it feels like it is um yeah i and again that that this is the only one that's gotten a a renewal to this point that's come back i mean the only issue i took with this episode matt is with sophia DiMartino's wig well we'll get there in due course i felt that I could see a difference in the direction um, this episode and uh, episodes four, five, and six directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. It'll be interesting to see, you know, oftentimes we credit the directors of TV shows and certainly they play a role. And if you're doing the first of a season, the first of a series, that might be setting the visual language. But oftentimes it tends to be your director of photography who's the one who's actually, you know, policing the style, whatever it is, the shaky cam of Lost or whatever it might be. Um, certainly this episode, there's so much movement of the camera. Again, I, I suspect in in um, creative opposition to you're basically using one extended set for the entire thing um, and you're doing a whole lot of explaining of past, present, and future things. Um, the camera has really come to life here. Um, and even just in simple, simple kind of static uh, zooms, we have Loki back in the present here and the lamp is blinking. Um, and it's the first of many times, but never in excess. But go back and watch. It's a bunch of times where it's just a quiet zoom into the lamp to show its ominousness. You know, we've all seen a blinking lamp. Uh, it's OB that says, you know, uh, well, first of all, it's Mobius that says it's power surges all day, not a big deal. OB that says it is a big deal. Uh, that's because once we get to the temporal loom, it is what's powering uh, 
It's what, it's what's powering the whole operation. But Pete, let's not get there quite yet because I want to say as we stand in front of the temporal loom viewing room, those red doors protecting us from temporal radi- uh, radiation. Yes, the pictograms, as you mentioned. Yes, the wording on the floor. Also want to say it's like a giant X and opens like the mm-hmm. danger room, but mm-hmm. but hey. And opening from the other side, but before they reach it, coming down the hall, OB, uh, thinking about the branching timeline causing these surges and maybe the time slipping, B-15 has joined them at this point and says uh, things are a mess upstairs. Uh, OB says that the branching is overloading the temporal loom. All of this is in the TVA guidebook, you know, the one on every desk in the TVA, a detailed index of every mechanical classification and maintenance routine on every sector, on each device, and inside every computer program, which OB wrote himself. Interesting. Um, That uh, he flips off to them there. And uh, Mobius... Asking again, Owen Wilson with the comedic timing, hey, OB, a piece just fell off of this. Was that important? And a light shatters before the rumbling behind that orange door. Uh, when we get into it, this is where it's properly explained that this overlooks where raw time is harvested for power. Outside the window is a disaster. Uh, here is where, here in the room is where Mobius writes skin in the dust, which is also a handy way to separate past and present and future in a little bit. Um, but again, now we're kind of back to, we need some exposition. How can we stop everything from overloading? If we're not going to be doing this pruning, then A, the blast doors must be closed to protect the TVA. Uh, the time uh, to act is now or never, but not not now right now. Uh, Mobius needs to get into position. Loki, given an indicator, when it turns green, prune yourself. You have an hour. Rumble, rumble. Nope, you have five (laughs) minutes, which is the handiest of story clocks. Because I was like, an hour. We got this. Cut to montage of this, that, the other. Nope, five minutes. Uh, We hear that Docs and the Hunters are headed to get Sylvie. And with that, B-15 steps away. Um and just to finish the thought, Loki time slips away, now into the future, question mark, no question, because he sees where Mobius has written skin in the dust, uh, therefore just going by the basic way time flows, Loki is in future timeline. But he left without that time stick baton, so right now the immediate portion of the story clock that he literally holds in his hand with a timer that will turn green he can't meet because he doesn't have the time stick to prune himself so he goes to look for one as ob seals mobius into a comically large ev suit he explains once the doors open the temporal radiation will start aging away his suit so he needs to get down the gangway lock the extractor into place, and hoof it back. Mobius asks how he's going to hoof it in that suit. But OB says he must, or the blast doors will close and lock him out. He and his suit will age away. He'll get very old, and all of his skin will be peeled away and he'll die. Just then, Mobius notices a crack in the top left corner of the visor, which OB places duct tape on and tells him he's good. 
Mobius tells Obi to get ready to see some hoofing like he's never seen before. And the understated way in which the now uh, best supporting actor uh, winner, Ki Hui Kwan, consistently delivers in this episode. You know, he makes the, the big pronouncements and people freak out. Somebody says something to him and he just says, okay. <laughs> Um, with the hoofing it having commenced with Mobius here, Loki, uh, racing for the time stick, as you mentioned, um, back in the present, the extractor plugged in, needs a few kicks before it gets rocking and rolling here. Future Loki or Loki in the future, rather sees the green light on the, the, uh, indicator there. Still, he's got no time stick. He hears a phone ringing. I have to confess, Pete, on first view, uh, again, I'll use the word again. There are elements of this episode meant to be slightly disorienting. When I was re-watching, I was like, oh, I really got to pay attention to see how this phone ringing really factors into the end of the episode because I missed that. Uh, unresolved for this episode. Um, but back in the present, Mobius is told the blast doors need to be closed with dramatic pause. Then Obi pushes the button. So story clock on top of story clock. Uh, all while Loki goes to the phone, someone trying to get out of an elevator, OB counting down, uh, Mobius making his way back. But wait, Pete, who is exiting the elevator? With a new hairstyle, Sylvie pries open the elevator and says, there he is. But it seems, and you can see the light up end of the time stick from behind as loki is pruned so it wasn't her question mark um from there mobius is struggling uh down the gangway and looks back and it is now loki on that wire who crashes into him pulling him in just the nick of time and loki tells mobius they need to find sylvie X5 watches armed hunters stream into a time door. B15 asks where they're going. Uh, Docs is there having changed into tactical gear and enters the time door as well. All that for Sylvie? Uh, D90 doesn't buy it either as the lights flicker and the camera lingers on B15 as we go to the credits with some new imagery. When we hit the credits here, I know we have a mid credit scene that we'll discuss momentarily, but um, in the best sense, this didn't feel like the end of the episode, but also, you know, what's our arc Loki out of time and pulled back to pull back in time. So like, it feels like I can't believe the episode ended so quickly, but it's also not like, you know, wait, who fired that shot at the governor, you know, to be continued? It was just, again, this kind of weird and wonderful tension there. Anything you wanted to cover in those credits, Pete, before we go to mid-credits? Just some of the new stuff in particular. There is a photo of Docs and X5, their heads close. So clearly they want to reemphasize that point there. Um, I'm crazy for the you know mid-century 
business aesthetic that the TVA has. Um, and, you know, just that they had a machine that, you know, makes coffee. And also the last thing on the dial was the soup <laughs> is another great detail that, you know, if, if the template holds for these Marvel studios shows credits, all those things are going to be featured throughout the season. So I can't wait till we're, we're over the soup. In that mid credit scene, Sylvie arrives in Broxton, Oklahoma, 1982, branch timeline. Are we clear there? She enters McDonald's. Pete, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Fun McDonald's tie-in, but because Loki's release date changed and apparently, you know, uh, promotional partnership dates don't change... Uh, that's why, for example, you saw Black Widow Legos out a year before the movie and things of that sort. It would have been really cool. I'm not really a McDonald's. has already come and gone from yeah. uh, McDonald's as well because it was supposed to be out in July. Yeah, meanwhile, it would have been cool to be like, oh, you know what? I will go get some chicky nugs at McDonald's since Sylvie is there uh, and I'll get my Loki dip as opposed to, as you said, July came and went. And I, I guess them's the breaks. Yes, but this McDonald's, complete with its frosted glass windows and its bright colors uh, that you and I experienced as children, and I would imagine uh, some of our listeners where employees work happily. It was this weird sense memory because... Like, yeah, I grew up going to McDonald's the way kids grow, you know, go to McDonald's and so forth. I never had like a birthday party there or anything like that. Like, I don't, there Dude, aren't. We're going to listen. We're, there's more coming for the McDonald's in this series. And we're going to delve into Pete's uh, core memories of McDonald's because they are myriad. I don't have like family photos at home of the, 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 when I turned four birthday party McDonald's, that I sort of thing. I don't either, but... but they're they're in my computer between my ears, man, and I will regale you. Well, and seeing this scene, it was like I had forgotten that feel there. It was the strangest thing. Um, but 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 please continue. So Sylvie approaches the kid at the register and asks how she does it. He asks what she would like, and she is quick to tell him not squirrel, possum, or rats, something that is already dead and nothing with a face. <laughs> he says, happily, that she could try their new chicken McNuggets. Uh, and as he goes on with the rest of the menu about a Big Mac and filet fish he trails off as she turns around and sees a couple holding hands as they eat lunch and teens enjoying themselves as she comes to the realization and announces she wants to try everything. Hey! Oh, wow. 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 Oh, man, I feel like wow. Let's discuss some mind-blowing theories. Pete, where shall we begin? The wiping of memories that is evident so the the big cliffhanger we left off on right that loki had returned to the tva and they don't know who he is now established as having been in the past they 
you know, had had their uh, memories wiped at several points. Um, but yeah, that that's gone on and evident as well that um, Mobius remembers where RNA is, uh, but does not, uh, cannot remember uh, Ouroboros's name. Yeah, it kind of addresses the timelessness in a way that makes sense to us living in linear time, which again, if nothing else, how about this? It makes the TVA existing in linear time. They just don't know it because of the memory erasure and so forth. Pete, from those profound thoughts, here's my question to you. In our reality, do you know when chicken nuggets were introduced into the marketplace dude you're gonna do this to me 1982 they were 1983 worldwide okay i swear i had them in 81 which i think could have been the case i've told this story before on the podcast my love of film comes from the fact that my grandparents my paternal grandparents took uh me and my brother's out to a movie every Saturday and then to McDonald's and vividly remember when uh, chicken McNuggets came, they were a game changer. What? This is not fried chicken with bones. Uh, These are little, I have little hands. Um, My favorite dipping sauce remains honey, uh, which everyone seems to scoff at. I was telling young people this story recently, uh, comparing it with uh, To Kill a Mockingbird when little Walter Cunningham asks for the molasses, which they also call syrup, and explaining this with Chicken McNuggets when you didn't have uh, honey at home, you used some syrup, and they looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. Pete, do you know what the four McDonald's chicken nugget shapes are? The ball, the bell, the boot. I can't remember the fourth one. The bow tie. Because they're boneless. The bow tie, yes. I swear they've gotten tinier. I know, I think it was 2016, they reformulated. Of course, they do have a bad rap because it's reconstituted and everything like that. But I swear they were bigger. Not just that I've aged, that they've gotten smaller. Um, I do like the spicy ones. They're pretty good. Uh, but they've definitely gotten tinier and they seem more dried out to me. By the way, if I've had like maybe four servings of McDonald's chicken nuggets in like the last 15 years, that would be on the high estimate. I get my McRib at McDonald's and that's about it. Uh, I'll conclude the chicken nugget reflection here by saying that indeed in select markets, chicken nuggets were introduced, uh, in 1981. So your, your, your memory may be accurate. But when they, as they will delve into hardcore details of McDonald's here as Sylvie's going to be hiding out there, don't worry. I, I got more where this came from. But back to the TVA, Matt. Uh, So clearly Kang, he who remains established as having established it uh, behind it, 
both literally and figuratively behind the the tile uh, relief mural. Uh, also, the statues and you know the the things that were there that have since been covered up because he made the place and evidently with Ravona Ranslayer, who other than a voice credit sits this episode out. I feel I feel glad to be watching this episode and this season with the um, you know the real world announced knowledge of. Kang being the big bad in upcoming Avengers movies, though obviously we're you know fresh out of the writer's strike and still have the actor's strike and so forth. Um, I think that a slam against the Marvel Studios TV shows has been, you know, after all these years of it's all connected and it's all important and it all counts and you can have a callback to something eight years prior and it lands because it's one big MCU, you know, how do the TV shows really impact things? It's nice knowing that regardless of how this particular season of television wraps up its story, you know, Kang is as big bad, is as big a big bad as prophesized in this episode and, you know, by implication all of last season, even though he showed up at the end, like this long shadow of his is both well-earned and being earned and doing story work for down the line. Heck, even add to it the fact that this show is so popular means that maybe there's yeah i wonder if some of the marvel studio shows it's like well we'll make this thing and if it's a hit great and if it's not we won't go back to it versus you know the first season was a big enough hit you knew you wanted to do the second season unambiguously here you are showing the second season kind of all the swings count these are all major league swings right and the mystery of where Renslayer went and you know how this has gone down in terms of chronology and what their relationship is, you know, is, uh, you know, is it romantic? Is it merely convenience? Um, you know, a lot of different ways that they could go. Uh, the recording was an interesting way, you know, you get them both in the episode, but don't obviously have them, you know, visually featured. Um, and then you consider the context of this war room where this judges council, neither of which we glimpsed in the first season. Again, that scale escalating and, you know, what all this portends. Great addition of the both the judge and the general here. Um, interesting characters to have on screen. Um both is from game of thrones yeah kate, kate dickey um and then liz carr uh who i did not know until i saw this is apparently in everything now which is <laughs> awesome yeah and, and liz carr who's this great presence on screen actress disability rights ad, uh, activist and so forth i don't think that an atlanta-based production would have had kate dickey and liz carr in it but we are better for having the these actresses playing general dox and judge campbell respectively uh, were better despite the fact that so much of the season one cast is british anyway it's just they're, they're just adding to the britishish the britishishness of the uh production but what's up with sleepy judge or sleepy guy there that gets awakened by dox but never ever does anything what's up with this guy <laughs> 
surely we're going to do something with him if not i would say all right just remove him in the edit sort of thing but he gets his close-ups his 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 sleepy judge moments there um or it could just be part of the inane nature like i know we're talking theories i will go on the record again and say i think we're going to do something with him um but it might just be a wacky moment in an otherwise wacky show. A lot of Miss Minutes mentions, but doesn't show up. Uh, we know that that's coming. We know that Tara Strong is back. Thank goodness. Um, but the nature of her involvement here, you know, it, it's funny. Like AI was a thing when we watched Loki, but just the explosion of that now um and how this can continue to be a touchstone for that and and her character it'll be interesting to see as that unfolds i'll point out that next week's episode directed by dan deliu uh who primarily has worked as a visual effects supervisor and second unit director so i think there's a certain degree where he's getting um yeah, it's his uh, it's his um kind of kind of directorial debut. It'll be interesting is he getting this because you know, he's our good guy and we're giving him the promotion? Is it a VFX heavy episode? And they might say, well, there's no lack of VFX in this episode. And I would agree with the probably green-screened background of the the TVA city and with the the time-slipping morph there are VFX. I, I'm just proposing maybe next week's episode is something above and beyond that. You know, I'll use as as an imperfect analogy. You think of that Star Trek Next Generation episode where, you know, Riker is trapped in the play, in the hallucination, in the hospital, in the play, you know, that whole thing. That's not necessarily VFX heavy, but if you were doing some sort of VFX version of that or whatever that is where giving your VFX supervisor the directorial nod also makes sense because he's going to immediately know, essentially he's going to be his own VFX supervisor, like that sort of thing. Maybe that's something to watch for next week. Uh, Next week, which is this week, Pete, next week in three days, four days. Not soon enough. What is up with docs and X five? I think we're getting a, you know, paternal vibe, but the look that B 15 gives might be lie something else i mean look you get kate dickey who played lisa aaron on game of thrones shall we say a notable mother in that uh series she of the uh the the moon window place and the involved mom um i mean again of all the actors mom yeah yeah is that where they're taking us here? I mean, I has, has B fifteen seen uh, some bottles filled up? I don't know, but I mean, from what we have seen in this episode, look. Obviously, I'm not saying literally. You know, you get this actress because she did the one thing in Game of Thrones, but we are getting this maternal vibe from her. Her most prominent role has been playing this rather odd mother, shall we say, in Game of Thrones. You know, they they cast her for some reason, and not not just Pete because she was in multiple series of the BBC show Tinseltown. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see on that end. Um, 
because I think I mean I think we're all in agreement, including like the show, including um, B fifteen, saying something kind of extraordinary is happening here. The flickering lamp and the camera lingering on it feels that it's more than just the the surge from the temporal loom. Is this a message? Is this some kind of Morse code going on there? It would be it's interesting. also in the credits. In an episode that, you know, I'll say it one more time, kind of is challenging us to, to keep up with the different timelines. It, you know, Back to the Future 2 might not be the best Back to the Future movie, but it might be the most fun because they spend, you know, that whole third act is all about going back to the first movie and doing things in the corners and, you know, then going back to watch and say, oh man, this, all these shots could have happened when the camera was elsewhere and all of that. It would be fun if we find out, you know, yes, Loki is on the other end of the lamp power surge. And we find that out in anywhere from next week, all the way to episode six. And we're kind of looping back um, because of the, you know, extraordinary reality of this place. I know you had noted earlier fast viewers might think Sylvie um, used the time, you know, uh, pruned Loki. That's not geographically how it happens. He's pruned from behind. You know, do we end up with some sort of timey-wimey thing like future Loki prunes past Loki, etc., etc.? It might kind of defy logic, but I think that we could have, we could have those sort of loops in a show like this. So... Uh, Obi explains that he wrote the TVA guidebook and he's apparently beyond behind fixing and helping to develop much of their technology. We spent a lot of this episode reestablishing that everybody there had a life on the timeline. Um, are we going to find out what Obi did? Is it going to be connected somehow with Kang I'm worried we're going to take, you know, come on, it's short round. It's, uh, forgive me. I don't remember his name from Goonies, the character he plays data or data. Okay. I do remember it. Okay. You know, everybody loves him. Are they going to twist the knife and, you know, he was somebody bad. Um, I mean, that would be fun. Part of the reason he's an Oscar-winning actor is not just because of the earnestness of Waymond Prime. It's also the different versions that you see of him and so forth. Um, I I think your larger question is, how many of these people are, are we going to see um, put back into time or see their origin point and so forth? Look, you have Kihi Kwan. Let's let's maximize that. I also, I don't really have an expectation. Was this, was this in retrospect stunt casting for an episode? Is he going to get ultimately more screen time than Sylvie when the season is up? Like, I feel like he could be anywhere from third, you know, third build, if you will, uh, after Hiddleston and, uh, and Owen Wilson all the way to, Oh, that was a great episode he was in. And then it was just, you know, or at the very end, he appears again to say, you know, whatever it might be. I do know this. Every other TVA character that we have met, I think we can infer, um, 
has had their memory wiped many times and does not remember it and so on and so forth, does not have a memory of the past at the TVA, OB does. So whatever, it's not just, you know, Kang pressing the mind wipe button and the entire TVA sphere gets the mind erasure waves or whatnot. Um, that's notable that, that OB has been going for 400 years, you know, minimum without, without the wipes versus, I, I don't know what the minimum time is that everybody else ha- has been existing since the last wipe. I mean, if you want to tell me it's been weeks or even days, I would, I would buy it. Listen, the secret sauce of this show is Sophia DiMartino's Sylvie. You know, the the meat and potatoes is Loki and Mobius, okay? And you sprinkle in the other characters. If if I'm going to employ this McDonald's metaphor, you know, again, she's, she's the, the thing that brings it to that next level. Um, if only they had found a better wig maker. Pete, time goes on for us all. I know uh, Sophia DiMartino also busy in the parenting department in between seasons of Loki and so forth. Um, I, well, I, she had I, had to be prior to season one because the costuming department had made her suit so that she could breastfeed in between takes. She had one in between seasons one and two as well. So uh, yeah. busy times around the camp and all of that. Um is it possible, Pete, that maybe we're going to find out that Sylvie, like Sylvie, not the actress, Sylvie is wearing a wig or that it is as a result, her? she looks disheveled as a result of her difficult travails since last we saw her? Or is it maybe just they let us down in the wig department slightly? Well, she's got the 80s hairdo that we see in the elevator that she's going to affect in the time where she winds up at the end of the episode um in you know that branched timeline in 1982 at a broxton oklahoma mcdonald's and those misadventures there um you know that that future tva where they're evacuating and it's bedlam people are running around and the ringing phone i think this is going to be and whoever pruned loki okay there's a number of uh, you know, speculative uh, answers to that at this point. I think that's going to be the mystery we will chase throughout the season. It would be fun to kind of, in the style of a murder mystery, it would be fun to kind of be playing with those things. I mean, not that murder mysteries have time travel, but they kind of do in that at the climax of it, somebody says, via the detective reveal scene, somebody says, let's go back to prior to the murder, and that's where this, and that's where that, and I, they had the poison, you know, all of that, and we kind of recontextualize the whole the whole understanding of the story. We, we, we go narratively back in time. Um, it would be interesting to deal with those loops. Now, speaking of loops as well as branches, with Sylvie at this McDonald's, Pete, can we assume, I mean, surely we must assume that she is hiding. I mean, it's clear there that's a branch timeline. Is she hiding again in the shadow of a disaster? I feel like after seven episodes of this show, narratively, that's the only option. 
if we get told some other timey-wimey thing, we will we will accept it. But your thoughts there on if she's hiding in a disaster zone again? I don't think it's an apocalypse. I think the the nature of a branch timeline here, this is something that they've pruned before what that will be i think will catch up to why it needs to be cut back i don't think it's an apocalypse um where they established in the first season you could go and you could do things and it wouldn't matter because it goes away um you know when the people die when you know that naturally is allowed to occur there as opposed to being artificially cut from the timeline because of uh you know it's been deemed by the timekeepers by the tva by he who remains as you know not the the path that they want to take um which when we look at loki being pruned here you know unable to find a time stick can't do it uh timers turned green phone is ringing okay sylvie just finds him Okay, let's talk about some candidates there of of who could have done it. Uh, I'm sticking with my theory that it is Loki himself. Future Uh, Loki? Yeah, Um, which again, I think think that would require... This episode exists in a slightly vague um, rules of time travel situation, and that's for the purposes of the show that's for the purposes of this netherworld that the tva is at and so forth it's a bit more of a narrative uh it's a bit more of a writing chore to be able to explain loki did this to himself he is his own grandpa that kind of thing um so i I think that that's one option if the show is going to be more um shall we say if the focus is more on the interior of the story versus season one where sometimes we're on a planet where things are going to be destroyed and sometimes we're in Pompeii and sometimes it's the end of time and kind of exploding in every direction if I had to choose a second option I mean it's great to see Eugene Cordero in the credits it's great to have him in his third streaming show that we've podcast in the last couple months so I'll go with Casey ever beloved Casey the one that you know drops the 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 hangman's noose but also makes the future past possible clearly mobius and ob would enter into that discussion what's interesting is that ob says he's not going to make it back in time when mobius is out on the gangway but it's as loki has not yet pruned himself and you got to wonder if like the discussion he had had with Loki in the past catching up with him that somehow the mental telepathy of that is coming through. That would be, that would be fun. That would be in line with the time travel slash murder mystery revealed notion of it. I will welcome, I feel like after the next episode, I feel like we'll have a slightly better scope of, what are the rules of this season in terms of where it's going and, and all of that? Um, I'm reminded how the first season, I mean, would you have predicted three episodes in that you were going to separate from the fact that you might've known like Jonathan majors is going to show up as Kang. 
uh, or as the big bad or whatever. Just in terms of the story, I don't know that you knew that's where you were headed three or even four episodes into it. Um, we have different, partially different writers, different kind of head writer this season versus last season, although writer Eric Martin, who has either sole or partial credit for all six episodes, um, he was he had his hands on three episodes of the first season, so it's not like it's a complete reboot here, but I feel I feel like I will feel better next week um next this upcoming thursday just have a sense what are the parameters of this season can we throw renslayer into the list of possible suspects absolutely um particularly with that added wrinkle of is she complicit you know if ob isn't getting his memory wiped has renslayer known the whole time that she's made a deal with the devil or she's resolve to her mind that he's actually not the devil because one devil is better than a million or an infinite amount and all of that. Um, I think that's a very strong candidate as well. What about a benevolent variant of Kang, he who remains? I mean, that could be fun. That could be fun too. If that is the case, then it, it would be fitting that it's in the future where the TVA is falling apart because a benevolent Kang means that there's more than one in the universe, which means the whole he who remains prop up the universe to be by itself, you know, that whole exercise will have failed, which of course, I guess we've seen it fail since he who remains was killed. Now we're back to timey-wimey stuff, but yes, I think that tracks as well. Time... To hear what you think. To the Twitter poll we go, Pete. Uh, what did you think about the return of the God of Mischief? Uh, the lowest option, time's up. Uh, that got 0%. Uh, the second lowest option with two uh, hourglasses, time is flowing down, also 0%. Three uh, mostly filled hourglasses, welcome back, got 11.8%. And then four topped off hourglasses, glorious 88.2%, so enthusiasm there. Some replies, uh, Major Noel Gardner, at Noel Camille, on Twitter, says, Great start, Benson and Moorhead took the baton and ran. This was a very timey-wimey episode that felt like The Matrix or Lost. I think we will revisit those scenes from other perspectives. Oh my goodness. I swear we don't read these ahead of time, but <laughs> great minds think alike. Who's on the phone? Who pruned Loki? Kihi Kwan is perfect as OB. What more does he know? Next, we hear from Diana Bodenberg, who says that was a really fun return to Loki. The part where the truck fell out of the window and Loki's like, she's fine, had me rolling. Hiddleston's dry deliveries just do it for me. I'm so happy that Kihi Kwan is back in the acting ring. He's such a gem. I can't wait for more. Steve Thurbridge said, uh, really like these simultaneous conversations with OB in the past present. Great writing. Would it, would it be too coy to say, hashtag, I'm loving it? <laughs> uh, also hashtag where's Renslayer let's not forget Pete because I may have mildly lost track Renslayer at the end of season one packed a bag and stepped out to somewhere else um, yep. so I think a great reminder from Steve that we should get answers at some point for that uh, last tweet comes from uh, David Seller that's at Siller David Poet he says when Loki season one was announced I was meh do we need to do more Loki content season one trailer got me on board but not too excited 
Season 1 ended up being great fun and a good watch. Not the best, not my fave. Time jumped to the Season 2 trailer, and I was, am, super hyped. This premiere delivered in every way. The energy of this episode was relentless. The VFX kicked up a notch. The inventiveness of the show seemed to be on some uh, PEDs. Uh, There's more humor and even more heart. I like what they're doing with this Loki variant's character arc. Kihi Kwan is a ding-dang delight and needs to be in all the Marvel stuff now. Mm-hmm. It's odd that I was ho-hum so long ago, but if you just let Marvel tell their stories and have fun watching them, you're in for a treat. Bring on episode two, stay fantastic, and maybe I'll catch a glimpse of Matt and Pete at New York Comic Con. Oh, never know. Pete, to the email inbox we go, uh, we hear from Jack, who says uh, as follows, Hi, Matt and Pete, my favorite Marvel show. WandaVision is a distant second, is back, full of creepiness, Loki time slipping, and suspense, what is happening to the TVA. My local McDonald's had the 1982 promo, decked out to look like a 1982 McDonald's with 1982 prices to match where Sylvie is at the end of this uh, uh, credit sequence, but the promo was only for two days and I found out too late. That was over a month ago, not sure why they have these promos so early. Anyway, looking forward to finding out who the big bad is in season two. Is it Renslayer? Is it Victor Timely? I can't wait. Stay fantastic. That from Jack in New York City. Well, we know we have the post credit scene from Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania that was footage shot for Loki um, with Victor Timely. I would think it's pretty firm who the big bad is. We hear from Steve Adams, who says this was a great way to jump back into the story of Loki. The pace was frenetic, almost too much so. As soon as we get a handle on what's happening at one moment, we jump to the next part of the story. The interplay between Loki, Mobius, and OB was fantastic. Very funny and a nice break from the tension of the rest of the episode. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next. Until next time, stay fantastic. That from Steve Adams. Well, Pete, this whole start of the Season 2 journey made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash FantasticGeek, and our thanks to all those who meet us anywhere on the timeline. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels to choose from. It takes just a dollar a month to get behind that door. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or a review to any of our 34, soon to be 35, 36 podcast feeds with Echo and Skeleton Crew coming. Pete, let's keep this conversation going across the MCU. How can people be in touch with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter, Threads, and Blue Sky Social, at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,600 followers, can't be wrong. Well, I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost. Do me in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and Threads, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word, with a P and an H, like it today. As we have recapped many times, now the great conjunction shall occur force friday this upcoming friday the 13th to wrap up ahsoka marvel studios saturday to discuss episode 202 of loki and star trek sunday's remaining finishing out the week with star trek lower decks with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word what's the quality of life with no skin <laughs> <laughs>